Well, good morning, Restore. So happy almost end of summer. Uh, we are now in our first week of August, which, um, man, I just, like, can I just say, um, the summer is one of those times, I mentioned this before, you, you start church, um, and then you get to summer, and you get all nervous of, oh, man, we're going to travel, everybody's going to, like, disappear, we're not going to see anybody again, um, and instead, the exact opposite has happened, like, we've actually gotten and made new friends, we've met new people, uh, and it's been so, I've been so grateful to be able to um, just be able to share my summer with you all. It's hard to believe that it's actually almost over, um, but so thankful and so grateful for the journey that we've actually been on all summer long. Um, so if you're just now joining us this morning, or if you're a visitor with us this morning, my name's Justin. Uh, I'm the pastor here. We are a brand new church that's launched over here in the Heights, North Houston area, uh, and we're going to be in Psalms uh, this morning. Particularly, we're going to be in Psalms 23. So Psalms 23 is uh, one of those psalms that you've probably heard before. Uh, it starts out, um, I don't know, you can go to H-E-B, and chances are good you've probably even seen some of the lines of the psalm, like on a card somewhere. It starts out with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And so it's one of those psalms that we've heard enough, kind of over and over and over again, that um, I feel like we can easily kind of feel like, oh, I've, I've got it. Like, I get what this psalm says. Like, God's a really nice guy. He, like, watches over me and, like, helps me when I, like, have difficulties. And it can feel a little bit like this is kind of, I've heard this psalm before. And so what I want us to do this morning uh, is to actually challenge ourselves to, to try and hear this psalm uh, for the first time. So what, what we're basically doing over the next couple of weeks before we launch, uh, re our, before we have our fall kickoff in a couple of weeks, uh, is we've been exploring what does it mean to have faith, right? So if we say, I've got faith, what does that mean? Like, how does it carry us? How does it shape us? Like, how does it mold our souls? Like, what does it actually mean to have faith? And so part of the way that we're going to do that is we're going to explore the Psalms. The Psalms, I think, are a very accurate, kind of raw, authentic picture of what it means to have faith in God. And why we're looking at the Psalms is so many of the Psalms are so raw and so authentic that so many of the times, like as I read them, you kind of ask the question of like, what is this doing in my Bible? Like, how did this get here? Did God not have an editor before, like, they put this in here? Like, some of the psalms, like the psalm we were in last week is Psalms 22. It's the psalms that Jesus quotes on the cross. Starts off with literally, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so these psalms offer what I think is this real, raw, authentic, what does it mean to actually have faith? Like, how does, when our lives and the messiness that is our lives collide with, like, our faith in God, like, how do we navigate that? How do we interpret that? How do we give it context? How does it carry us through those moments? And so this psalm in particular, so as I've, as I've said, we've been going through the psalms, and one of the things that we've been doing is we've been looking at particularly a lot of the, 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 the disillusionment, the despondent, like the, the overwhelming um, circumstances, like the darkness of the soul that so many of the psalms seem to record and portray. But what I want to do for us this morning is I want us to see this psalm particularly as like a tipping point. So as you read the Psalms, you get this honest description of how hard life is or darkness of the soul or seasons of um, despair. But as you work your way towards the end of the Psalms, 
The last five psalms in the entire book in particular end in nothing but praise. Nothing but like joyful gratitude. And what that tells us by and large is as we go through life and we wrestle through the difficulties and the disappointments in relationships and the pain that we experience and the disillusionment and sometimes even the distance we feel from God, if we'll wrestle through that, if we'll go to him, like if we'll keep bringing this to him over and over and over again, eventually at some point we arrive at praise. We arrive at joyful gratitude. And so my, my prayer for us this morning uh, is that I want us to uh, see our entire lives, and this is what I prayed for uh, as I prayed for this morning, as I wrestled with the text this morning, I want us to see our entire lives as gifts from God. I want us to see ourselves, our souls as guests of God in his house. Okay, so the psalm that we're in this morning in particular is going to wrestle with this idea of how am I the guest of God? Like, how can I, like, see his goodness? How do I grab a hold of it when I'm in these moments where it doesn't seem evident to me? When it doesn't seem evident that God is actually orchestrating things, when it doesn't seem evident that God is actually good to me, how do I still, like, produce, hold on to, grab a hold of some kind of hope that leads to joy. So, so I, I admitted this to you guys last week, um, and, and, and like I want to I wanna just make this evident again this morning. Like this is one of those psalms that for me in particular, I wrestle with. Like some of my own hypocrisy in standing up here and sort of talking about this psalm this morning um, feels evident to me as I've wrestled with it through the week. Because so much of my own life, so much of my own spiritual life, I wrestle with this. Like, like, where are you? Why is this relationship worked out as disappointing as it has? Like, why haven't you redeemed this situation yet? Why did you let this work out the way that it has? And so much of my life is sort of bringing all of these questions to God and sometimes getting frustrated with where are you? Why haven't you yet? And so what I want to do for us this morning is I want us to actually arrive at a place of joyful gratitude. I want us to actually arrive at a place where there's peace in our souls, like peace for our souls. Uh, this is something, by the way, that I don't think happens like overnight. It may take hours of wrestling through a psalm. It might take weeks. It might take years. It might take a lifetime. But my prayer for us as a church as we think of like our faith and what our faith means to us and how it carries us, my hope, my prayer for us is at the end of our life, we can look back and say, I have been a guest of God. He has been so, so good to me. I want us to arrive at a place where there's this deep sense of I've got joy and all of the things that I have faced, even these valleys of the shadow of death as the psalm that we're going to be in this morning depicts, I have still found myself pursued relentlessly by the love of God. And, and so my, my prayer this morning um, is that we'll find this kind of joy uh, for our own souls. Uh, so one of the things that became, I haven't been a pastor very long, we're not a very old church, um, but one of the things that became very evident to me very quickly um, was honestly sometimes how helpless I feel as I sh like listen to some of the pain and some of the things that you guys process with, like how little I feel like my words can actually provide any kind of real comfort, any kind of real hope. And so what I want for us this morning 
is whatever it is that we're facing, whatever it is that we've carried, wherever it is that we feel like, God, I don't know where you are. I see this distance. I perceive this like lack of care or concern from you, or I've looked at my whole life before. Like, like I've looked at how you've orchestrated things before, and I feel frustrated with some of that. Like where was your goodness when this was happening? My hope, my prayer, my longing for us is that we can be a church that arrives at a place of saying, I'm a guest of God and he's been good to me. His love has pursued me. And so we're going to take an honest look this morning um, at this psalm, but my hope for us uh, is that as we look through this psalm, um, I want us to get to this place in our own souls where there's peace, where there's joy, where there's this sense of, I'm okay. I face difficult things. There's been disappointing circumstances in my life. There's been relationships that I wish would work differently than they do. But in the end, God has followed me. His goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life. I've got peace with that. That's what I want for us this morning. So let me, let me read the, the psalm, and then we'll jump in this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me pray for us and we'll get started this morning. <clears throat> Father, um, as we get started this morning, um, would you be with us? Father, would you have mercy on us? Would you have mercy on me? Would you have mercy on our people here? Whether we're still out traveling or uh, making last-minute plans before summer is over. Father, we need your goodness. Um, so, Father, would you help us? Would you help us this morning learn to see? Would you help us to learn to recognize your goodness, your mercy, and your compassion? Help us become aware of your presence in our life, Father. We love you. We need you. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen. So, so one of the things that I mentioned about this psalm is that it's very sentimental, right? There's this, um, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me by quiet waters. And so there's, there's this kind of softness that, that the psalm sometimes portrays. That's why I think it ends up on Hallmark cards very often. But the reality of the psalm is the psalmist is writing this on the heels of like great struggle, like great difficulty. All throughout the psalm, we see things like, I've got difficulty of relationship, right? These enemies are around me. There's a psalmist language of uh, saying like, there's been people that have really hurt me in different ways. There's been people that have not had my best interest at heart. Like there's been relationships I've had that have either collapsed or decayed in ways that have been very hurtful for me, maybe even hurtful for them. And like, I'm frustrated and I feel disillusioned with all of this. The psalmist will write, even though I walk through the, the darkest valley, that can also get translated, the, the valley of the shadow of death. What they're saying is this moment of like, there's no life here. Where are you? 
Like, I don't have any perception. Like, there's nothing left in my soul to offer. Like, I feel like this is the end here for me. And so my, my hope and my prayer for us is that we see, like, just sort of the, the authenticity of what the psalmist is wrestling with is not a psalm where, like, they're being necessarily sentimental. This is a psalm that is written on the, he, on the heels of someone who's lived a very difficult life that's encountered great frustrations and difficulties and betrayals and darkness. And somehow, at the end of it, they conclude with, your goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life. So uh, a couple of things um, that I want to point out here before we get started. So like I said, these psalms, I want them to lay a foundation uh, of faith for us. So I think a lot of us often view our faith uh, a little bit like a thermostat. Uh, like we, we kind of want to set it at like what is our comfort level, and then we kind of like, we want it to then just kind of sustain us and keep us comfortable. The challenge with that is when we do experience discomfort, when we do experience pain, when we do experience disillusionment, all of a sudden we like panic because we're like, what's wrong? Like, why is my faith not getting me through this? Why, is, why do I not feel like God's closer? Why is he not helping me out more? And so, so often we want to kind of like our faith, I think we want to really, and this is really a kind of a modern view of faith, but we kind of want to like have it as something, it's like it's a, it's a compartment of our life and we can pull it out as we need it. If it gets difficult enough, like I want to be able to pull it out and kind of have it like keep me comfortable. But the reality is, I think like true faith, the kind of faith that shapes our souls, cultivates us, changes us, makes us like God, is not the kind of faith that keeps us comfortable. It doesn't keep us comfortable. Here's what it does. It makes us aware of his presence in our discomfort. It makes us aware of his presence in our pain. It makes us aware of his presence when we suffer. This, I think, is what true faith is. It's actually learning to see and to recognize, even in those difficult moments, God is with me, and he sees me, and he's working all things together for my good. This is what faith is, I think. It's learning to become aware of the presence of God, even in the midst of our struggles. And so that, that's what the psalmist really arrives at is, like, he admits, like, there's these moments of, like, I've hit these dark valleys. And so the conclusion isn't, so why did you let me walk through the valley? The conclusion is, you were with me. And so I think a big part of how do we have, like, healthy faith, how do we lay a foundation of faith that keeps us healthy, that feels vital to our souls, I think in part it is learning to recognize, learning to see the goodness of God. It's learning to see that he's with you and has never left you. It's learning to recognize his love and care for you. And so, so much of that process of faith, I think, is learning to see. It's not necessarily having the answers or the explanations we want, but it's learning to recognize that the goodness of God has not and will not and will never abandon you. Okay, so um, one of the things that the Psalms does, how do we do this? Um, so th this morning is, um, 
I know like, I get up here and yell at you guys about spiritual theological stuff a lot. Uh, this morning, I, I, like, I want it to be more practical. Like, there's going to be some practical things that I want us to explore, um, particularly this morning. Um, what's one of the things that the psalmist does to sort of arrive at this? Like, how do you go from I'm in the valley of the shadow of death to like God's goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life? Well, one of the first things the psalmist does, uh, starting in verse 4, uh, I'm sorry, and starting in verse 3, he says, He guides me along the, li- the right paths. For his name's sake. So, so here's, what, here's what the psalmist is doing. The psalmist is declaring in their own heart what they know to be true about God, despite evidence at the moment to the contrary. For your name's sake is actually this plea to the grace of God. And here's what I mean by that. So many of the psalms, and we talked a little bit about this last week, appeal to the nature of God. And what they're doing there is they're evoking in them this sense of you are true mercy. You are, as John writes in his gospel, love. Like God is love. And so what they're doing in these moments is they're intentionally evoking in themselves this sense of what they know to be true about God despite even their experiences of him in that moment. Why this is so important for us is understanding the character of God means understanding his love for you. Like these two things are very closely connected all throughout scripture. So part of the way that the psalmist did this last week is they declared, even when I was an infant, like like I was thrust upon you to like care for me and love for me and nurture me. What they're really doing is saying like, like I've entered into a world where my existence is dependent on your goodness from the very beginning. So even if I get to a place of my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? What they're really doing is they're reminding themselves, wait a second, from the very beginning, like your goodness has been the thing that has sustained me through my life. It's your character, your love, your goodness that has pursued me. So so why I think this is so important, particularly in moments when we are in dark valleys, is we are still like we are really, really bought into the idea that somehow what I can do influences the way God will treat me. Right? If, if, I'm, if I'm being the kind of husband I should be, the kind of father, the kind of spouse, the kind of mom, if I'm not sinning, like if I, my addictions are under control, like that means that God's going to bless me. He's going to give me goodness. He's going to follow me. He's going to surround me. But the reality is the psalm says, your goodness and your mercy, your love, follow me all the days of my life. There are no exceptions to this. Like God's character doesn't change. Like his goodness that he gives us is not dependent on whether or not we've earned his approval. And so what the psalmist is doing here and what they did last week is this similar idea of like, I want to evoke a sense of your character. Like if I'm going to get through this, the first thing I really need to do here is remind myself of who you actually are. And I need to like let that carry me in such a way that those doubts that I have and those fears that I have and sometimes even that lack of perception that I have doesn't feel as much of a threat to my relationship with you anymore. Not even my struggles and my sins and my despondency and my disillusionment, those don't feel as much of a threat to this relationship anymore. Do you know why? Because it's for your name's sake. It's your character. It's your goodness that's brought me here to begin with. 
or the psalmist doesn't say, so I earned your approval and you followed me through most of it. When I pushed you away, when I didn't see your goodness for a while, the psalmist is realizing at the end of their life, and this is, we think this is probably a psalm that was written at the end of the psalmist's life, as best as we can tell. Your goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life. And so for some of us this morning, what I want to do is provide a little bit of hope and comfort of, um, you know, I, I can feel like I run God off. I can feel like I, I don't honor him enough. You know, when we gather, when the teams gather on Sunday mornings to pray, um, sometimes the thing that we, we confess regularly is, I don't know, I, I really didn't give him a whole lot of attention this week. I didn't pray a whole lot. Like, and there's always kind of this sense of guilt of, like, I haven't done enough for this relationship. And so m- my question is, what would it look like in your own spiritual life, in your own relationship with God, is that in all of these moments of struggle, in all these moments of guilt, in all these moments of shame, in all of these moments of I'm not enough, you stopped yourself right there and said, but your goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life. It hasn't wavered. It's not wavering right now. What I know to be true about you and what I perceive to be true about you are, are different things. And what I know to be true is your goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. Like, how would just ask yourself right now in this moment, like, how would that change the way that you approach God? You know, I had, I had a conversation with someone um, who had reached out that was a, a former, um, someone that I knew from a long time ago, and uh, they don't go to church, but um, they were asking me, like, I, I, you know, I'm kind of in a tough place, and I want to pray. I don't know, like, how do I start? Like, dear God, hey, it's me. It was, uh, sorry, we hadn't talked in a while. My response is, what have you actually started with your goodness has not stopped relentlessly pursuing me despite like how far I've run or despite how little I've actually cared about it or how little I've perceived it. Like your goodness and mercy has continued to follow me. How would that shape like our prayer? Like how would it shape the way that we view God? How would it shape the way that we process our own shame and our own guilt? So that's where the psalmist, the first thing they do is that it's for your namesake. Your character is what's brought me to this point and has sustained me. C.S. Lewis wrote about this, actually, this, this very dynamic. And he said one of the best ways that modern people get tripped up about God is they perceive uh, that what they feel about God or what they think about God and the way that he's relating to them is actually the way that he is relating to them and treating to them. So when they're experiencing difficulty, they perceive that as vindictive or punishing. Uh, when they're experiencing mercy, they assume that as, oh, I've done something good to deserve this, right? And so, like, so much of, how, like, well, all that ends up happening is, he said, modern people kind of end up at the mercy of their circumstances, and they think their circumstances are the thing that influences God's goodness for them. And part of what the psalm reminds us here is that part of the, the faith journey is learning to become aware of, learning to see the goodness of God in all of these different circumstances. Uh, so starting in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the dark, the, through the darkest valley, or can be translated valley of the shadow of death, is probably how you've heard it before, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay, so um, I said this morning I'm going to be a little bit more practical because I want to I, I be encouraging for us this morning. So a couple of things. 
Um, one of the things is, so we have to ask the question, like, why are the valleys necessary? Right? Like, maybe, maybe I'm just the only spiritually immature, entitled person in this church. Um, but, like, that's a question I ask God all the time. It's like, why was that even necessary? Like, why did you put me through that? Like, what good came out of that situation? And so p- part of what I want us to see here this morning, what I'm going to propose, is that the goodness of God for you is so beautiful and so relentless and so overwhelming that we're not actually all readily able to recognize it. We're not all able to actually readily see it because we haven't actually encountered love that is like this good, this perfect, this relentless, this pursuing ever before. And so like for us, like understanding and recognizing the love of God, like it's gonna be unfamiliar to us. And so I think part of the way that God actually begins to help us see his love and recognize it is by taking us to unfamiliar places. God's love is unrecognizable to us, and so sometimes he leads us to unrecognizable places so that we can see just how far his love has come in these moments. So I have a, I have a two-year-old daughter uh, whose grandmother lives uh, halfway across the world in a different time zone. Uh, we recently took a trip over the summer to see her, uh, and so we took a flight with a two-year-old um, which, was, which was a lot of fun. We got a bunch of candy, a bunch of Netflix shows, and, and we, watched, uh, we watched Netflix shows for 10 hours on this flight. Um, but when we touched down in Sweden, that's where her grandmother lives, when we touched down in Sweden, uh, the reality is Indy has no idea how far we traveled. She has no concept of, she doesn't really have any concept of time. She certainly has no concept of distance. Like her biggest concern right now is like where we've hid the cookies in our house. We went to the, the family beach trip last week, and somehow, I don't know how, we ended up with a big box of cookies, which my daughter has joyfully become aware of, and so we've been rehiding it all week, trying to, trying to, we've been telling her the closets are locked or broken, and we can't open doors. Like, it's crazy how much you lie to your kids sometimes. Um, terrible example, but like, that's, that's her biggest concern in life. She has no idea, like, distance. She has no idea. So, like, when we touched down in Sweden, for all she know, We all just climbed into a big stuffy room and sat really close to a bunch of strangers for 10 hours, got off, and then there was grandma. As far as she knows, the house is around the corner. She has no concept of ocean. She has no concept of how far we've traveled. No idea. So let's suppose it's 200 years ago, though. We can't fly. And again, no analogy is perfect, so forgive like some of the imperfection of my analogies, but I'm trying to help us grab some of this a little bit. So let's pretend it's 200 years ago, and then we travel. We've got to travel by horse and carriage. So we eat nothing but beef jerky for, you know, eight months or however long. I don't know how long it would actually take us to get to Sweden, right? But like we travel by buggy and carriage to the coast. We get on a steamboat. It takes us three months or however long to get across the Atlantic. We end up in Scandinavia. It's cold. Like we've got to you know, like, and she has this, all of a sudden, she's going to have a totally different picture of just how far grandma lives. So let's suppose Indy turns 13, a big moment in her life, and grandma comes to see her. Some of that discomfort that she experienced in that journey, in that travel, she'll begin to understand just how far and just how much her grandmother loves her. Just how far she'll go to see her. So here's part of what suffering does. Is it helps us become aware of just how far from home we actually are. 
And then the second thing it does is it helps us become just aware of how far God will actually go to bring us there. The discomfort and the suffering and some of the disillusionment that we wrestle in life, wrestle with in life, actually in some way helps us have this broader picture of just how much God loves and cares for us and has pursued us because when we look at Christ and we hear that he was a man of sorrows, when we hear his words on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What we begin to understand is the distance in which God has come to bring you home. And so there's the spiritual irony that sometimes occurs with our suffering is that while it's uncomfortable, it helps us understand the distance at which he loves us, the care at which he will pursue us. Helps us see that no distance, no place in our heart, no place in our life is outside his love and his redeemable character for his name's sake. So why I wanted this to be encouraging this morning is, um, so the, I see this a lot uh, sometimes. So I, I've shared with you guys, I, I used to be a counselor. It was my former career before becoming a pastor. Uh, and one of the things that you see pretty regularly is if, if someone's in a, in a dysfunctional family system and they get out and they get help, they get healing, and they start to kind of see like, oh man, like, this is like all of what was happening here and some of the dysfunction and the destruction and the hurt, and they get out. One of the things that almost immediately happens is they feel there's hurt because they've gotten out and what happens is they want to look back and they want to see like I've seen like how beautiful healing is on this side like I've seen how beautiful connection is like I've seen how beautiful like sobriety can be or or how beautiful like having healthy relationships can be and I want you to come with me but you can't And so some of that pain that they experience, some of the ways, even as I process with you guys and some of the hurt in your own family, um, I know it's difficult. I don't know it's painful, but one of the things that I want to just point out here is some of that pain that you're experiencing, some of that, un, like, restlessness is actually a sign that, like, of your redemption, of your restoration, because you can see the distance now. And you long for, like, more holy intimacy. You long for forgiveness. Like, you long for reconciliation. And it's hard sometimes when the other party doesn't see that or can't see that. So I I think our spiritual lives actually work in a similar way. So a lot of times when we hit these valleys of the shadow of death, we feel depressed or we feel a little despondent or we feel like, I don't know where God is in these moments— uh, one of the, like, like as, I, as I meet with people, as I spend time listening to you guys, one of the questions you usually get is, like, what did I do wrong? Like, how, how is God punishing me here? Um, a couple of years ago, I actually had someone sit down with me, um, and had, they had found out they weren't going to be able to have kids. This person, uh, like, I share this story with permission. They're, they're not here in Houston. You'd never be able to connect the dots. But, but the question that they really wanted to sit down was, I want to figure out, like, what is God like, what is he punishing me for? Like, that's literally what they, like, you're a pastor. If you can help me figure that out, then maybe I can get rid of this. And so, so much, so much of our despondency, so much of, like, the depression and, the, and then, the, like, the, like the, the distance that we perceive, like, we panic spiritually. So what have I done? Like, how did I, what did I do to push God out? Like, how do I, how do I get him back? But I want to offer a little bit of encouragement this morning is that some of that despondency, some of that distance, some of that restlessness you feel might actually be a sign that God is redeeming and restoring your heart. 
Because when you look around at the world and you see relationships as they are, you look around at the lives of the people you love and you see their lives as you are, like there's this longing of like, this could be more. Like I know how good God is and I want you to experience this. Our despondency and sometimes our fear that we've pushed God away, I actually think is a sign that he's much closer to us than we realize he is. Because we find our souls craving his presence. We find our souls like longing for his goodness. And so sometimes that distance, sometimes that that spiritual angst that we might feel or some of that depression that we might wrestle with is actually a sign that you might be making more spiritual progress than you realize you are. And the presence of God might be pursuing you more than you realize it is. Part of that process then is learning to recognize it. I've come to an unfamiliar place. Maybe that's because God's trying to show me some part of his character, some part of his love for me that's unfamiliar to me. And being in this unfamiliar place is going to help me recognize this a little bit. Help me see it. Help me wrestle with it. Start seeing things in a different kind of way. This, I think, is is really the true, um, where the psalmist really, really wrestles with these darkest valleys and then arrives at this place of your overwhelming goodness has pursued me is these valleys, even these painful relationships, become these opportunities, opportunities for the psalmist to understand their relationship with God differently, to try and see him from a bigger perspective than they'd considered before, to wrestle with some of the, the pain and the despondency and some of the distance, and then begin to realize, look how far God has continued to pursue me and love me. So another piece I want to add to this, um, just like practically. Um, So a a lot of you, um, you know, when we arrive at these places of kind of spiritual despondency, we're like, what have I done wrong? What sin do I have that I need to confess? Like what, what, like, what have I, is this something I've done in the past? Like, why is God doing this? So one of my favorite authors, and I mentioned him before, is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was an old Reformed preacher from about 100 years ago. He was a physician turned pastor. Uh, But one of the things that he said is sometimes we, when we hit these dark moments, these valleys, uh, we want to over-spiritualize it a little bit. Like, I must have done something wrong. God must not be as good as he is. Like, there's this sense of, like, the distance that I'm experiencing. Something's happened. And he likes to remind people in these moments, like, sometimes there's just, like, you're a physical being. You're human. And so he'll ask the question, like, when was the last time you rested? When was the last time, like, you actually had space for yourself? Like, are you eating well? Are you sleeping? Are you in healthy relationships? Some of, sometimes the despondency that we feel isn't like some, like, there's not some, like, really big spiritual diagnosis that we need to dive in and figure it out. Sometimes it's, like, you might be overworked. You might be stressed out and burnt out and weary and thin. And when that happens, you're going to perceive God as distant, not because he is, but simply because you're exhausted and you're human. Right? Like if you're a full-time parent, when was the last time you had a little bit of space just to yourself, like undemanded, unhurried space? If you've just started your career, when was the last time you had a day where you didn't feel like you had pressure to measure up and perform and impress and, and like, so much of some of the distance in these valleys that we experience, I think, and I think he's exactly right, isn't the result of some like catastrophic spiritual state that we need to like work through. Some of it is you're just human and you're tired. 
you're weary, you're burnt out. And so this is why this morning, again, I wanted to land a little bit more practical. Some of, for some of you, like some of the most spiritual way that you'll work through some of these seasons of your life when you encounter them is just ask the question, like, am I taking care of myself? Am I eating healthy? Am I drinking too much? Am I, am I worried about something? But this is why I, I think even like mental health and counseling can be so important in these moments. Like if we're depressed or we're anxious, like we're going to read scripture differently. We just are. Like it's gonna, we're going to have a different kinds of lens. That's why seeing a good doctor or a good counselor or medications, things like these can be so helpful and actually revitalizing our relationship with God and learning to see his presence. Right? Some of the reason that we may lack joy and gratitude in our lives isn't because we've done something spiritually wrong. It may be just we're stretched thin. There are a lot of demands that have been placed on you. Your soul just might be tired. So as we, as we get ready to close this, this morning, um, here's, here's what I want. As we look at this psalm, um, I want us to be able to finish with the psalmist. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And notice the tense that the, the psalmist uses here. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. H here's what the psalmist is doing. So at the end of this, as they've wrestled through these dark valleys and these tough moments, they arrive at this place of joyful gratitude. And they arrive at this conclusion of, I have been a guest of God my whole life. This is what I want for us. Right? As a pastor, I realized pretty quickly I can't make y'all's lives easier or better. Sometimes I long for that. Like, there's just some of the ways that you guys suffer and some of the things that you carry feel awful. And I want to see that change. And I realize I can't. And I think some of us are coming to that place of realization even in our own lives if we can't change some of the things that we wish we could. There are relationships that just won't work themselves out. There's things that we carry that just start to feel like we'll carry them forever. And so rather than trying to figure out how do I get rid of all of this, like how do I navigate, like how do I avoid all of these valleys of the shadow of death? Because if, if you're older than two, maybe older than two, I don't think, you know, Indy's biggest concern is cookies right now. I don't think she's had a valley of the shadow of death yet. But like, <laughs> if you're older than two, you realize that these are inevitable. And so we can get frantic and try to control our lives and, and avoid as many of the valleys as we can and kind of always kind of be on edge and spiritually anxious over, like, is, we're like trying to minimize our suffering and trying to avoid all of this. Or I think we can arrive at a place like the psalmist does and see, wait, whatever season I'm in, whatever difficulty I'm experiencing, these are opportunities to see your goodness. I can wrestle with it. And again, I don't want to invalidate the pain, by the way. That's not what the psalmist doesn't say. So it wasn't painful. The valley wasn't dark. The valley was dark. But what it did in these, in these spaces is it taught me to see you a little bit differently. It showed me how far your love will go for me. Help me understand a new aspect of your character. So someone's ideas that I borrowed heavily from um, for this sermon this morning was Henry Nowen. You guys know he's kind of a spiritual hero of mine. Um, he was a Harvard professor and also a, a Catholic priest who left all of the prestige of Harvard to go 
uh, serve in a, in a community where adults with disabilities live and sort of spent the rest of his life giving sponge baths. And as people asked him, like, how did, why would you go from Harvard to this? Uh, one of the things that he, 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 as he explored just life and what is difficulty and what is challenge, um, he wrote all kinds of profound, beautiful books about service and love and what it really means to, to be a faithful follower of Jesus. But there's another aspect to his life that a lot of people don't realize. His books got very popular, got very famous for a while, was that he struggled with a deep sense of loneliness his whole life. A couple of times it made him feel um, suicide, like it brought him to a place of just despondency. And he said, the only way at the end of my life, if I look back at my life, I could, I could finally realize, like, not be resentful and, and not look at my life and be like, what a shame, what a waste. Look at all this loneliness, all these relationships. I, he, like, he longed for intimacy and connection and never got it. So I could look at my life and realize, what a waste. And he realized, I'm at this point, like, do I look at my life resentfully or do I look at it with joy and gratitude? And his conclusion was this, the only way forward, the only way I'm not going to finish my life and go, what a waste, what a loss, is if I'm able to, in my heart, look at even these harder spaces, these darker places, these places where the presence of God was with me, and learn to recognize it, wrestle with it, like learn to see it. Because if that happens, if I see more of his goodness, even in, in these darker spaces of my own life, it's not a waste anymore. And he came to the end of his life with the conclusion of all is grace. This is literally his words, all is grace. The hard moments, the joyful moments, all the things in my life that didn't work out the way I wanted them to, those were opportunities of grace. Because in it I actually discovered a God who never gave up on me. He pursued me relentlessly. That's why I love that song, the overwhelming reckless love of God. I like the words um, of that song. And I think they're theologically very accurate. All of a sudden, I've realized at the end of my life, man, he's never stopped pursuing me. All is grace, even these harder, darker moments of mine. Let me pray for us real quick as we get ready to participate in communion this morning. Father, um, would you help us? I need you. Our people need you. Um, as we wrestle with uh, the harder moments of our lives, the valleys of the shadow of death, um, darker moments. Would you help us to learn to see your presence, like learn to see your goodness, learn to become aware of it, learn to, to wrestle with it, learn to um, long for it? Father, this morning, would you help us, for those of us that are feeling despondent or feeling the distance from you, would you encourage us? Would you help us to see that some of that distance that we are experiencing may not actually be that you're distant from us, it's our heart waking up to our need for you and waking up to the need of the world around us and the need for your presence and your goodness. And sometimes the distance we feel isn't an indication that you're not there. It actually might be an indication that you're a lot closer than you think you are. We think you are working in ways that we don't quite recognize just yet. And so would you help us to trust you, to cling to you, Father, as we get ready to participate in communion this morning, could we participate knowing that your love and goodness has pursued us all the days of our lives? Whatever we're carrying in here this morning, whatever frustrations or despondencies or anger that we have or resentment, would you help us to start seeing all of our lives as grace, even the harder parts, 
parts we wish we didn't happen, that didn't happen, parts we wish we could change. Instead of running from those parts of our hearts and those parts of our lives, would you help us to bring them to you? To search for your face in them? We love you, Father, and we need you. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.